the golden era of endurance running in Britain where there were a number of runners who just lived and breathed the sport. They often worked manual jobs or in factories and they ran to and from work. It's probably a, a lifestyle not dissimilar to how some of the East Africans of today live and train. It's really nice that it's actually in position. My father's still remembered after all these years. Really enjoyable, lots and lots of kids turning up, having a real good all-round background doing sports all. If you're ever down on a Thursday, you can definitely hear when the kids are about. Our sport would be nothing without volunteers. Hello, welcome back to the England Athletics podcast. Coming up in this episode, the fascinating story of an athlete nicknamed the Ghost Runner. You'll find out why John Tarrant was given that nickname and why he's been celebrated in Hereford recently. Also this month, we've been to visit Vale of Aylesbury Athletics Club in Buckinghamshire to find out who makes it tick. Now, of course, if there's anything that you'd like us to discuss, you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram or via the England Athletics website. So first, to a man born in London in 1932, John Tarrant was dubbed the Ghost Runner for his habit of gate-crashing races from which he was barred due to his non-amateur status. He was raised in a children's home with his father away during the war and his mother sadly dying of tuberculosis. Later moving to Derbyshire at 18, he took up boxing. During training he discovered a talent for distance running and then turned his attention to the 1960 Olympic Games, hoping to qualify for the marathon. But strict rules on amateurs meant his short career as a prize fighter was held against him. Determined to pursue his ambitions, John sometimes gatecrashed races, stealing the show and beating the best performers of the day. In the 1960s, he turned to ultra running, setting world records for the 40 mile and 100 mile distances. Later in life, John lived in Hereford, but died after a battle with cancer in 1975. In 2011, though, campaigners decided to raise funds for a statue in his honour. Well, eight years later, that's become a reality, and Dean Hardman and Chris Jones from England Athletics spoke to BBC Hereford and Worcester's Nicola Goodwin at the unveiling in Hereford. I think today it's about celebration of, uh, first and foremost, a great man, secondly, a great runner, I think it's also testament to the great spirit that exists in this community as well, that they take the time to raise the funds, to spend the time working to, to get this great statue put up in memory of John. But I also think it's great to have this monument now that will in, inspire people to get involved in sport. His times were amazing, and this was without oxygen chambers, without 150-pound trainers. This was with tyres welded to the soles of a pair of daps. And most people today in the world can't do times like that. I mean, what he did was phenomenal. I think he came from an era, actually, where almost a golden era of endurance running in, in Britain, where there were a number of runners who just lived and breathed the sport. It was what they lived for. They, they often worked manual jobs or in factories, and they ran to and from work. It's probably a, a lifestyle not dissimilar to how some of the East Africans of today live and train. The times that John ran would absolutely stack up in the modern era. I'm sure there are runners that will read the book and want to replicate his training sessions to try and replicate the performances he, he achieved. Do you think enough is made of him? Most people around Hereford have heard of him because of the running group, because of now the statue, because of fundraising, but further afield, maybe not that many people. I think they will do now. 
I mean, the story is fascinating. I mean, I was looking at some footage this morning, uh, Pathé News uh, reel from the Brighton race in the 60s. There's some gold dust in archive information out there. I mean, England Athletics, we have a Hall of Fame and we take heritage uh, and the history of our sport really, really seriously because we think that the past can inspire the future and we need to uh, recollect how former athletes trained and how they performed to inspire the next generation. So I, I'm certainly sure that his legacy will live on this in this area and through days like today more people will find out about his exploits. Is John in the Hall of Fame? Not yet, Not, never only, say never. Only a, only a relatively small number of people get inducted year on year and there's usually a mix of some, some more recent athletes and, and some of the longer uh, established athletes. I think one of the things or the consequences of the decision to ban John from international competition actually is, is that issue of recognition that often the athletes that stay longest in the public's memory are those that were wearing a GB vest at an Olympic Games or at a Commonwealth Games or at other international events. So the fact that John was unable to compete internationally probably impacted his legacy more than anything. That being said, he was, he was not, uh, famous for having done the Comrades Marathon in, in South Africa. Ultra running is experiencing a massive boom at the moment. More and more people are interested in ultra running. And in fact, I think there are record numbers of British people going over to South Africa to do that race. So actually, if anything, there's a really good opportunity for John's legacy to be retold to that audience. Because as much as anything, John's known for his ultra running exploits as his, as his marathons. And the statue's a bit different, isn't it? This isn't sort of a, a picture of John that everyone would recognise. Some people will love it, some people will hate it. A bit like running, a bit like John. <laughs> Well, running is uh, enjoyed by over 7 million people every month in this country. There's no sign of it slowing down. In fact, uh, there are 3,600 road races take uh, place across England every year. Uh, so there are more opportunities for, for people to enjoy running. And I, as I said earlier, I think John would be uh, buoyed and inspired by the amount of opportunities there are now for people to take part in running. I'm sure he would have had a lot of success. And you don't have to go fast. I don't, no. I don't run fast. Absolutely. Well, our, our social running programme, Run Together, you know, 2,000 odd recreational running groups across the country, about 100,000 participants, largely people who are taking part in running for the first time, trying to improve their running and of course then feeding on into more structured group activity and of course clubs. You know, I think there's something for everyone in running, that's why it's, it's uh, so enjoyed by so many now as an accessible activity. Dean Hardman and Chris Jones, they're speaking to BBC Harrington Worcester's Nicola Goodwin more from uh, that statue unveiling later just taking a look at some of john's record times 40 miles he managed in four hours three minutes and 38 seconds that was in 1966 in cardiff and then three years later 100 miles in 12 hours 31 minutes and 10 seconds now we'll turn our attentions to this month's club visit and uh, Chris Jones has been busy. He's been to Vale of Aylesbury Athletics Club in Buckinghamshire. So we're here at Stoke Mandeville Stadium and I am stood inside the Paralympic Museum. Of course Paralympic Movement was founded here at Stoke Mandeville thanks to the efforts and commitment and skill of Sir Ludwig Gutmann who was inducted into the England Athletics Hall of Fame several years ago and uh, of course Stoke Mandeville has hosted many special championships over the years and is the home to the Vale of Aylesbury Athletics Club where we are here tonight to see some action on the track but also meet some of the volunteers who make the club as successful as it is. I'm stood here surrounded by memorabilia from past Paralympic Games. There's lots of interactive uh, footage here of athletes of the past 
wheelchairs here, showing visitors how the uh, wheelchairs have evolved over the years. There are copies of Paralympic medals from down the years, and of course, attire that would have been worn by officials uh, and athletes alike. So if you're in the vicinity, or you happen to be competing down here at Stoke Mandeville at any time, I'd strongly recommend that you uh, pop along a bit earlier than the competition and find some time to come and have a look around the museum inside the main sports centre. So without further ado, let's uh, go and meet some individuals and make the club what it is. Claire Barker, who's the club secretary here at Vale of Aylesbury AC, and we're overseeing the track here on the home straight, which is action-packed and full of young and older athletes enjoying their athletics training. Tell us a bit about uh, what's happening here tonight, Claire. We have got the Kestrels, which are the under-9s, under-11s. Mm -hmm. The Thursday group is here tonight. We have got Development, who are the next stage up, yep. obviously, um, under-13-15s. We also then have training groups, all the individual jumps groups, throws groups, pole vault group, um, sprint groups and distance groups. And it's a beehive of activity here. Have you seen much growth in the club over the last few years? In the junior section, definitely. Yes, that's very, very popular. Do you think the Olympic Games in 2012 and the World Champs in 2017 had a bit of an impact in terms of people's interest in the sport? Definitely, yeah. 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 And we've got the Commonwealth games here again in Birmingham in 2022 so another opportunity yeah. to to grow and I guess one <laughs> yeah. of your challenges as a club is making sure you've got enough coaches enough exactly. volunteers to, yeah. to make things happen exactly yes that's all constant struggle but yeah thanks for everything you're doing as club secretary so I'm here with Graham Gorman who's had two spells as chair of the Vale of Aylesbury Athletics Club and he's been here 50 years as a man and boy and you've seen them come and you've seen them go yeah. and you were just telling me about Sir Ludwig Gutman and uh, his legacy and uh, his foresight and the fact that you'd met him a few times. Yeah we, when we first moved over from uh, the Edmund Plainfields grass track that would be mid to late 80s uh, we had, I had me and the club, I was a chairman at the time, me and the club secretary we had to come over and have meetings with him about the club moving over very nice chap. The actual track was funded as a gift from the Dutch government. They, they paid for the track. Why the Dutch government? I, I honestly don't know the answer <laughs> to that one. I never found out. And you uh, said yourself you trained and competed largely on grass and cinder. Do you right. think that helped your joints over yeah, the years? Yeah, it did. Yeah, well, you didn't get many injuries in them days. No, no, softer under the foot, yeah, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And you must be pleased when you look at how the club's grown over the years, some of the athletes you produced. There was about... 15 to 20 athletes when I first joined in 1968 and uh, we've got approximately 400, 400 mem uh, members now. And some really good young athletes. Yeah. Uh, I know that one of our colleagues and friends, Scott Grace, coaches here and think competed here as well, you'll know well. Yeah, I remember Scott when he was a little school lad, sprinter, he'd come up to me, come up and join the club. Now's the time you can dish any dirt. Is there any dirt? Yeah, there was just loads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, no, I... Me and Scott started the first Young Athletes League team in, in, in our club. I was a team manager and Scott was my team captain. So, and he was, well, that's what he was, a secondary school lad. Well, he's gone from strength to strength. You yes. must be really uh, proud of Scott because, of yeah, course, oh, yeah. he's been responsible for leading some of our uh, innovative uh, youth development programs like Athletics 365 and yeah. has been involved with European Athletics, you know, supporting yeah. other coaches from not just the UK but across Europe as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, so I've known him for years. I, I went to his wedding. Good lad and a good sprinter. Scott Grace, England Athletics, National Technical Lead for Youth Development. 
and uh, coach here at uh, Vale of Aylesbury, and I believe you were once in a sparring sprint. <laughs> you didn't hurdle, did you? No, it didn't hurdle. Were you ones and twos? Ones and twos. And relays. Occasionally fours, but that was more punishment than uh, pleasure. Where so, did it go wrong? Pretty much at the start, normally. <laughs> 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 it got better eventually, but yeah, I stopped training like many years ago and started coaching, partly because I was self-coaching myself from 16 because we unfortunately we lost the coach who worked with me he's uh, now down in bath so that benefit uh, our loss unfortunately and then got a bad injury at 19 and decided i wanted to focus on coaching ended up having a good group and pretty much gone from there so i was speaking to graham who remembers you knee high to a grasshopper <laughs> and uh, spoke with great pride about the fact that you've gone on to you know work in the sport for england athletics and british athletics and have been team manager and team leader and of Commonwealth Games and World Youth, World Juniors and uh, European Juniors and what have you. So uh, uh, it's, it must be good for people who have seen you come through the ranks, so to speak. If you've got that drive and you work for the coach education, so from a very early age, I wanted to be the best possible coach I could be. I always think it's a privilege if somebody says that they want to be coached by you. They sort of like give their career to you. So you should like take the actual uh, great pleasure in doing that. Um, I think, to be honest, in probably more recent years, uh, I've had the pleasure of working with people like Jess Hunter. She's a great role model in general, great personality, and also has really probably seen her like a, as a, a shining light for a lot of youngsters wanting to hurdle. So. And you had a record breaker, I think, at the Sheffield at the indoors? We did, yeah, young Amelia. So she's a yes, superstar. Um, really good like all-round skills come through the, the Kestrels and induction group. I think that's been one of the big things that I've seen over recent years. We've started getting the youngsters right, really enjoyable, lots and lots of kids turning up, having a real good all-round background, doing sports all, doing multi-event competitions, uh, doing like the, the World Marathon Challenge, that sort of stuff. We've had lots and lots of new volunteers come in to help that and brought a lot of enthusiasm, like Paul. Paul Perkins, Paul maybe have uh, done a great job. If you're ever down on a Thursday, you can definitely hear when the kids are about, so that's good. So I'm here with Amelia Rock at Vale of Aylesbury AC, fresh from her success at the Sheffield Indoors recently. How are you feeling at this moment in time, uh, a few weeks on from that success? Um, well, I was really happy with my time I got and my new PB, obviously. And now I'm just trying to carry that on through to the outdoor season. And remind us what your time was. 39.74. And you're the first athlete to go sub 40, I believe, at that uh, distance at those championships, yeah? Yeah, indoors, yeah. So um, uh, what are you thinking uh, in terms of looking forward now? Uh, you, what are your competition plans for the rest of the summer? I'm hoping at English schools to medal and further decrease my PB and, um, yeah, to see where things go, really. OK, so good luck at the English schools. We'll see you at an England Championships, no doubt, during yeah. the summer as well. Yeah. Good. And uh, what makes this club so special? Um, I guess just the coaches, they're really nice and, yeah, they've really helped me. I couldn't have done it without them. Oh, they're superb. And uh, behind every club, uh, hard-working volunteers and uh, yeah. our sport would be nothing without volunteers. So... Good luck. Thank you for everything that you're doing, inspiring younger athletes around you as well to follow in your footsteps and look forward to reading more about your success. You're listening to the England Athletics Podcast. Follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe on iTunes. Like, share and comment on social media. Julian Starkey, newly elected chair of the South East Regional Council for England Athletics, joining us on the club visit to Vale of Aylesbury. Uh, what have you thought to what you've seen tonight, Julian? Well, uh, there's lots of people here on the track. Lots of Good to see lots of youngsters running around. 
a few older people helping with the coaching. Looks like a nice place to be. I'd quite like to come in and run myself, I think. And obviously you're heavily involved at Bracknell as a, a leading force in the club there. Uh, it's great to see so many clubs in this neck of the woods doing so many good things in developing young athletes. Well, I particularly like to see the young athletes getting their opportunity to um, experience athletics. I'd like to hope that we can provide a good enough offer to them so that they can enjoy that through the rest of their life and choose athletics as a pathway to follow, whether it's on the road or on the track or field or whatever else. I think I'd like to see a few more festivals, sorts of more event-orientated activities so that uh, we're trying to get the best in the area together to compete versus you know happenstance in leagues and things like that perhaps we can think about changing the format about the way we deliver things well thanks julian and good luck in your tenure as chair of the southeast regional council and thanks for joining us tonight chris jones there on a club visit to vale of aylesbury athletics club now more from the ghost runner we were hearing earlier that john tarrant who set a world records for the 40 mile and 100 mile distances in the 1960s in fact, used to adapt his own shoes. He glued rubber to the bottom of them to make them last longer. He also worked at the Territorial Army Centre in Hereford where he was allowed to run before work in the mornings. Well, let's find out what some of John's family members had to say. They spoke at the unveiling of the statue in his honour to BBC Hereford and Worcester's Nicola Goodwin. I'm Roger, I'm John's son, also known as Vic, because my middle name is Vic, and this is Susan, my wife. Hi. <laughs> and it's a very different designer statue in a very different place. It is. I'm hoping it will eventually get moved near the leisure centre, near the running track, where they hold the park run races, which I think will be more appropriate. But it's really nice that it's actually in position. My father's still remembered after all these years. Ian Hereford, obviously, most people will have heard of him, but further afield, is it annoying for you, does it sadden you that he doesn't really still get the recognition that he deserves? It does annoy me, particularly when drug cheats seem to get a second chance. And you go back, father didn't really do anything wrong and was banned from representing his country. I think he had the opportunity to have perhaps represented the Olympics in the 1960 marathon that's open to debate but he was certainly in the frame and it's very disappointed he never got an international vest. His times, even now with all the technology we've got, the trainers that we can wear, you know, oxygen chambers, suspended running treadmills are unbelievable and he was running around these streets with not really much nutrition wearing trainers that he'd made himself. Tigers. And he used to repair them himself as well because he, he, when he was in the children's home he learned, he learned cobbling. So, I mean, even when he broke the world record for 1,400 miles, it was a pair of tigers that he wore, which he'd, he'd probably uh, repaired a few times himself before actually running in them. And way ahead of his time, because he realised then that you needed cushioning. It was just a different sort of cushioning. Yes, yeah. I was looking back recently at the conditions when he broke the 40-mile world record. He, he couldn't run on the, in the inside lane because it was waterlogged. So he was actually running on the inside of the second lane so he's obviously ran more than 40 miles when he broke the world record in 1966. So we're surrounded by skateboarders, boys and girls having fun. Do you think that's the right place for a statue because he was a maverick? He was very much so. I think the fact that the kids can see it, it might well encourage them and to, to encourage children to take part in any sport is fantastic and if they can be inspired to run, what better example? 
I saw it being made. It looks amazing now it's all completed in situ, but it's a very different sort of statue. When we first saw it, we, we sort of thought, wow. But to me, the fact that the children have been inspired by the story, the children have designed it and then made it, well, that's just, it, that's just fantastic. It's superb. We came down a few weeks ago and brought our young grandchildren with us and our three-year-old grandson, Dexter, recognised straight away when he saw it, it's a runner and he's winning. And when we told him it was his great-granddad, he, well, he, he couldn't wait to get back home and tell his daddy that he'd seen a sculpture of his great-granddad. And it's been made by children who've got their own difficulties. Dad started his life in care. Yeah. Would he have liked the fact that this is expressing things in the way that he probably felt himself when he was young? Yes, um, I mean it was good that Sam and the children came forward to actually come up with something. It was very inspiring and it's nice to see that they've been recognised on the plaque as well. Children are all listed that helped put it together. And why did you think that your dad ran and why did he run so fast? Was it just because he loved it? Was it to get rid of all the stresses of the day? came from the boxing days. He loved running as part of his boxing training. And when he realised he wasn't going to make it as a boxer, he started running. But I think what really inspired him to carry on was the fact when he realised that he'd committed an offence, so to speak, and couldn't compete domestically to begin with. That inspired him. He said, well, they're not going to listen to a guy who finishes down the field. They're only going to listen to me if I do well in races and maybe campaign for justice to get reinstated as a, as a proper amateur. There's two schools of thought. Um, some of my dad's contemporaries have suggested that if he hadn't had the ban, he would have been even better because he felt that because of the ban, every time he raced, he had to win. And they feel that if he, there'd have been less pressure. I feel the other way. I feel that the ban inspired him to greater things. Other people feel that he could have laid back a bit and he'd have been even better if he hadn't had the, the problems of not getting proper recognition. The son of John Tarrant there talking about his father's running career, a man who was told by the Amateur Athletic Association in 1952 that his short career as a teenage boxer meant that he was a professional and couldn't compete in domestic and international competition, but he still turned up at meetings unannounced and competed without an official number and went on to set world records in the 40 mile and 100 mile distances. Well, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this month's podcast and uh, we'll continue to bring you episodes throughout the summer. So do let us know if there's any points you'd like us to discuss, anything you want us to feature, get in touch via social media. For now though, thanks for listening and goodbye.